Hey everybody, Chase Nobles here, founder over at Kush.com. I've got Ben Meggs and Jeremy Sherman from Bayou City Hemp on the show today. How are you guys doing over there? Fantastic, Chase. Thanks so much. Yeah, we're doing. Of course. Good. Thanks for having us. I'm I'm excited about the I'm excited about this. We have the Texas Hemp Convention coming up in Dallas, our first live show since COVID hit y'all are going to be there, but y'all are right there in the heart of Texas and Houston. That's big. It's the biggest city, isn't it? In, in Texas, Houston is. It is. It is. Right. I think we're the fourth largest city in the country. Wow. Especially square, uh, square miles because Houston's just spread out every time I've been there. It's, it takes an hour to get across the town. Yeah. It's, there can be some traffic here. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Okay. So let's jump right into it. Texas hemp. Last year when we did the Texas Hemp Convention in uh, about a year ago now, uh, it was in January of 2020, a lot of things were changing in hemp. And we had some state legislators at the show. You know, a lot of the farmers you didn't have, you know, the right permits quite yet. They didn't even know if they were going to be able to plant. It was kind of a mess. And uh, ha is, has that mess been cleaned up? And where where's the, what's the state of the industry there in Texas right now? Yeah, I um, it, yeah, that's, that's, that's a great point, uh, Chase. Last year when, when we saw you down in Dallas, it was, uh, we were just now, I think, launching 1325, which is our um, regulatory uh, statute here in the state of Texas. Um, and it's, it's in, um, you know, it's, it's on a, it's on a full-blown uh, uh, go uh, here in Texas. And um, we, uh, everything was a, was a good uh, R&D year this year for Texas farmers. So uh, to answer your question, absolutely, we're moving forward and uh, it's been a learning year, but uh, legislatively, everything is is much further along than what it was last year, obviously. Right. I, I remember a lot of farmers were wanted to plant, but didn't think that they were going to be able to because of the timing of the licenses. That, did y'all run into that issue too? The timing was tough, uh, no doubt. I mean, obviously all the farmers would have loved to have had their crops uh, in the ground sooner. Um, but I still think given we got it in late, there were still quite a few successful grows. Um, Absolutely, Ben. We, um, you know, like I said, last year was really an R&D year for the Texas farmer, but uh, next year I look for, um, you know, a lot more permits and a lot more acreage grown potentially here um we did get it in late but uh overall it was a it was a success last year i do believe yeah and i think i think this year what what it showed us is that it can be done here and i i think from our point of view we just can't wait till the genetics catch up with with the climate here and uh really excited to see what gets planted this year um as that comes along because as jeremy said uh, 2020 was really an R&D year, um, and I think everyone learned a lot, and I think we're going to be better because of it in 2021. All right, now we're talking about Texas, one of the largest states in the country. For a long time, Oregon has kind of run the show. California, they, they have a lot of the history on the cannabis side, but Texas brings old school farming to the table. What sets Texas apart? Is Texas going to be where most of the hemp comes from in the country? What, what do you all expect in the Texas market over the next three to five years? Yeah, um, I, I do believe we'll be one of the largest um, uh, agricultural and, and hemp uh, growing states in the uh, United States. Uh, as, far, as far as Texas, I mean, we're, 
uh, if not first, we're second in agricultural commodities in, in the country, number one. Um, you know, land mass probably plays a lot into that. Uh, we have a lot of wide open space, a lot of, uh, a lot of commodities are grown here. But yes, I do believe in the next three to five years, we will be one of the top producers in the state. Yeah, and I would add, it's not only from a farming standpoint. I mean, look, look at the, you know, I guess, look at the people moving to Texas in general. I mean, it's a mass movement. Um, people want to be in Texas, and that really benefits us. Um, we've been able to get some incredible hires uh, from other states that have really, really great experience. Um, and, and, you know, we've built our company around that. Um, and, and I would also say that it, it's not limited to farming. I think Texas is going to be a very big player in all aspects of hemp, can, you know, marijuana, CBD, all of it. I think it's going to be a huge market here when the time comes. I, I agree with y'all completely. You know, we looked at the, we looked at every state in the country to trying to decide where we would want to do a show um, next. Cause we had the Oregon hemp convention, you know, we run local shows up here in, in Washington or, or we used to figuring everything out after COVID has been a, a handful but Texas just seemed so timely with the people, the culture, and the opportunity of the Texas market because there's a lot of people there and uh, a lot of people. And, and the big thing with, with a limited or no access to THC products. Right. And so hemp just seemed like such a right market for consumers. Now, what you mentioned a lot of people have been moving to Texas lately, especially from the West Coast. Sure. And a lot of that has to do with taxes and regulation and all kinds of other messes that, that, that they're, that they're escaping in order to live in a place with, uh, um, maybe a little, uh, lighter regulations regarding taxes and everything else. Right. And so what have the regulations been like for hemp businesses? Are we talking total THC? Are we talking just Delta nine? What is the consumption policies? Are, is smokable flour a big category or is that dead? You know, there's a lot of things that have changed in Texas and most people have no idea what's going on down there, but I'm sure y'all are on the, on the beat of it. Cause uh, Jeremy, it sounds like you're on the uh, president. You're the president of the, let me read this here. President of the Texas hemp coalition and a member of the Texas hemp industrial industri hold on. And a member of the Texas hemp industrial council appointed by the ag commissioner of the state of Texas. What does that mean? And what are the regulations right now? Yeah, absolutely. It was an honor to be number one, to be on, on both of those boards. The uh, Texas industrial hemp council was uh, put on by Sid Miller. Um, and we, we helped shape the regulations in the state, at least gave our input on what we thought would, uh, would help the farmers and the potential consumers. And then. And, and, and Sid Miller, who is that? Sid, Sid was at our show last year, I believe. Sure. Um, yes. Sid's a, uh, is the Texas Ag Commissioner. Okay. Right. A big proponent of, of him. Um, and so, yeah, I, I was honored to be on that board and be in the room uh, as some of the regulations were discussed and, and put in place. And then now I'm on the president of the Texas Hemp Coalition, which uh, we're an advocacy group, just trying to get our message across to legislators, et cetera, on uh, all the positive aspects of that hemp is bringing. Uh, not only in Texas, but nationally. Um, but as far as the regulations go, um, yeah, I mean, Texas, again, is usually a state where we're light on regulations. Uh, that's why, a lot, like you said, a lot of people from the West Coast have moved. Uh, 
you know, no state taxes, things like that. Um, on the hemp side, um, it, uh, it, it's a, a Delta nine state. Um, but, you know, overall, we haven't had a lot of crop that's, that's been destroyed. Uh, everything has really been pretty compliant. Um, and then on the consumer side, um, on the smokable hip side, as you discussed, that's, that's kind of a different animal. It, there's some uh, regulatory issues right now. It's, it's still, um, I think, March 23rd, Ben? I think it's March 23rd. Yeah, March 23rd, I, I think, Chase, is, is when there's going to be a, a, the next hearing on whether smokable uh, hemp is going to be allowed in the state. But what we can say is smokable hemp is a very, very big part of the hemp economy in Texas. Uh, it, it is. I mean, these shop owners, I mean, you know, early on, we, we were, we always believed that Texas was going to hold the key to the can cannabis market in general, certainly in the South, um, hopefully countrywide. But because of that, you know, we, we wanted to be first movers here. And because we were first movers, we were very, very tied in legislatively and regulatory. We put, we put a lot of effort and time into spend, you know, I mean, being in Austin, being a part of these conversations, trying to shape um, the regulations that were coming out. And that's why Jeremy is a part of these coalitions and councils because we knew it was so important. Um, but what I can tell you is that it, smokable is going to be a big piece of it. It, it is. I mean, it, it almost has to be, I, in, in my opinion, because you look at it from an economic standpoint you can take him, you can extract it like y'all do. You can, you know, put, you know, create all these amazing finished goods, but you can also harvest hemp, dry it, and then sell that as a finished good. That's exactly right. And you and can get this product into the consumer's hands at such a lower cost of goods sold than all of the packaging and all everything that goes into making a lotion, a cream, a soft gel, or, or whatever. And so if smokable flour isn't, you know, a viable option in Texas, it's it's hurting the farmers the most because that's where oh. so much of the money comes from. And the price stability has been there this year. That's and right. so it, it kind of frustrates me to think that they're going to potentially um, not allow that there in Texas. And, I, you know, we don't we don't think that they necessarily will. I mean, there's a lot of proponents uh, for it. And I think it would look this is this is what Texas needed. This is a catalyst for uh, changing. I mean, it, it's another cash crop. It, it's it's a it's what Texas needed to change the game for not only the farmers, but for business and, and commodities as well. And I think that what it would decimate the industry in Texas if, you know, and we make a slew of products here, um, but one of the products we make are vapes. And that's a big part of our business as well. Um, and whether that's a part of the smokable or not, that remains to be seen, but it it's, it's a big part of the economy. And, the real answer is people aren't going to stop smoking it. It's just, they're going to get it from somewhere else. And Texas is going to lose out on that revenue. Right. That's the reality of it. The other, the other piece of it, you know, you have all these entrepreneurs there in Texas that have taken the risk to start a company like yourselves and being as business friendly as Texas is, it would be kind of a, a, a big miss if they, if they pull back because there's a lot of, you know, hardworking, good people that have started great companies 
but you're at the whim, you know, of state regulation. So I think it's something to definitely keep an eye on. And that's that's one of the things we're looking at for the Texas Hemp Convention. What are the regulations going to be down there this year? Sure. Uh, I, Dallas has been great I, I, to us. I would but... agree. Um, and I mean, I, my thought process, I mean, I, I think I think that this will eventually work its way out. And I think that state uh, legislators will absolutely see what you just said, which is uh, it needs to still be in there and it hurts the farmers ultimately. Ultimately, it hurts. That, that's the person it hurts the most. That's the group of people that it hurts the most. And it's a shame to think that that, that could be the case. But um, move, moving on, Ben, you have uh, a pretty esteemed background in private equity and startups. Tell everybody who you are and uh, how, how you went from, you know, your former career into the entrepreneurship route uh, in the hemp space specifically. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Jeremy and I at heart, we're entrepreneurs. Um, you know, I, I kind of cut my teeth and, and so did he to some degree in, in the oil and gas industry. Um, and we're in Houston um, and, and we left those lucrative careers to come and do this and, and be a part of something that we think is going to be great. Um, so, yeah, I, a lot of private equity, a lot of startup experience. Um, so and and both of us have a lot of that experience. So it was an easy transition into starting up the company. Now there's a lot of caveats to that when you go from, you know, working in oil and gas to uh, processing and extraction facilities. But, um, you know, really what, what transitioned us? I mean, it, it is a commodity, so it's not that different. The science behind it is very different, but it is a commodity and there's ebbs and flows in the industry. I, I think one of the exciting things for us um, that we saw, I mean, we're, we're both big believers in cannabis and the benefits that it brings. Um, we, we've not only seen it firsthand, but uh, I mean, we have testimonials and our own personal experiences with it. Um, so from the benefits of it, along with being able to create the infrastructure uh, for the farmers uh, is, is very important. It, it was very important to us. And what, what I'll say is you know, Jeremy and I, he, and, and maybe I'll let him go into a little bit about his background too, because it kind of coincides with how we set up the story of yeah. why we really got into this. Yeah, Chase, I mean, um, my background, you know, along with Ben, oil and gas, um, and but my family's also been farming for 80 years. We've been um, corn and soybean farmers, so farming's always been near and dear to my heart, personally. I manage our farm in Illinois. And uh, so Ben and I, we grew a couple of years ago and we, so we, we grew a crop and then we couldn't really find a processor that uh, could answer all the specific questions that we wanted after we had our crop, uh, after we harvested our crop. And so that made us start thinking, you know, should we bring something like this to Texas? I mean, at that point, legislation had not even been passed in Texas. Yeah, HB 1325 been proposed, but we had no idea if it was going to pass or not, you know. So, so we started forming our uh, our team, which, again, uh, one of the, the things that we wanted to do from the beginning is we wanted to take what we learned in the oil business from a um, high regulation and high regulatory uh, team. So we, uh, we hired a, a CFO who had been... Uh, a top executive at an oil and gas company. And so we just, we started filling out our roster uh, with people who were really high level executives uh, from other industries, obviously, um, our regulatory and QC um, 
guy. He's been in the food. Uh, he's been in the food industry for 30 years. So we wanted to put all these pieces together and bring what we couldn't find uh, in Illinois as far as a, a, a processor. We wanted to bring this back home to Texas. And so that's really how Bayou City was formed. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the questions that any farmer should be asking is, what, what type of extraction method are you using? What's your quality control? Um, what's your outlet for the products that you produce? You know, simple questions like that. And we, we couldn't get those answers uh, to the questions. And so, you know, as HB 1325 was coming through, I mean, we kind of just thought, you know what? Texas is the place to be. This is where we live. We know it can be it can be really, really big. And, and not only can it change our lives and, and many, many lives from the benefits of this beautiful plant, but it can also change the farmer's life from having another opportunity and another crop to uh, ascend, I mean, well, capitalize on. Again, the farming industry has been on a, on a downward <laughs> trend for a long time. I know this firsthand. And so anything that we can do to help and uh, bring a cash crop, a new cash crop, into a huge agricultural state. That's what we want to do. All right. Now, Jeremy, from a farming perspective, right. you've got 10 acres, you know, say you've got a small farm. Cause there's a lot of people out there that, that, that are calling me and asking me this question. I've, I, I've 10 acres. I'm not sure what to do with it. I could grow hemp, but I could also, uh, I got the call the other day. I could also forget what it was, but they, they could plant blueberries or, or they could start an or they could do all kinds of different things with that land. How do you, what, what did, cause I'm sure you're having these conversations with other farmers, whether they grew a little bit last year and thinking about growing again or expanding or contracting, what advice do you give them whenever they're comparing hemp to other crops that they could be growing? Cause the price isn't as good as it was three years ago. That's right. That's And so now you're starting to compete a little bit more with those commodities like you were talking about. What's your advice, Jeremy? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, Chase, it's to do your due diligence. Again, I think the smokable side plays a, a huge role like we just discussed. Um, and number, you know, that's that's the first thing is to do your due diligence. Number two, learn how to grow the crop. So, I mean, again, hemp is not, hemp or cannabis is, is not an easy crop to grow, especially for high, uh, high CBD content. And so, it, you know, my advice really is to do your due diligence, talk to people like us. Uh, and we have a whole team who works with Texas farmers and, and beyond, and we'll give you, uh, you know, our advice and try to help you any way we can to make the right decision for you. Because I think everybody's a little different. Enough cannot be said about getting in touch, speaking to, understanding the processing and extraction. You, any farmer who's getting into this should not wait until their harvest comes to start talking to processors. It's right. And it's a, you, you know, it happens. You've seen it happen. It could have even happened y'all. It's one of those things where it's a hard lesson to learn, but a lot of people have learned that the hard way uh, over the last two years. Now, now, Jeremy, I want to get back to the, you know, to the bolts of this question, comparing him to other crops, the opportunity cost of other crops. How do you think about that? whenever you're talking about land and how to monetize that land? Sure. I mean, again, my background really is on, um, you know, I would never grow corn and beans on 10 acres. I mean, I could, but that's really a, uh, a scale. Well, let's, let's, ramp, let's ramp it up because everything's a little bigger in Texas. Let's ramp it up. <laughs> sure. Um, you know, it, it, it really, it just depends. 
is it comparable? Absolutely, it is. Especially on this, if you add the smokable side in, it's that's it's, the game changer. It's it's a better uh, it's a better return. It, it really is. Uh, it just takes more nurturing. There's more. Is there more with with reward? Is there more risk? Absolutely, absolutely, all the way around. Because you have to do it right. Or again, uh, even on the smokable side, if it's not uh, the product that the consumer wants, then you know you've got a difficult situation getting rid of it. So I think it's really just getting the mindset. That, hey, do you want to take this challenge? Maybe you don't make uh, you don't make this huge return in 2020 or 2021, but let's look for 2023 or 24. Yeah, I, I think the one thing to note here is that this is a commodity, and although there's a surplus right now, there's a bottleneck on processing, um, and I, I just think that we should keep in mind that the market will reach equilibrium at some point. Prices will return. And those that stuck it through and learned how to grow in the not so great times, but certainly comparable to any other cash crop, there are they are going to be the ones that capitalize on, on this market when it comes. We're definitely and, going through the filtering right now. People that, you know, made one too many mistakes and one of them ended up being fatal to their their business yeah. this year you've seen it yeah, i'm absolutely. sure we've seen it you know and it's hard because as a source of liquidity for a lot of farmers out there our platform you know there's only so much you can do when there's an oversupply right and so it's last year was a challenging situation for a lot of businesses and you know i'm glad to see that we're ideally on the upward trend coming out of this thing um, right. with, with the reduction in supply, hopefully this year and the increase in demand, I think that uh, things are going to change a little bit, but as you all know, it takes time and nobody really, there's no glass crystal to rub to tell you the answer what's going to happen. I mean, if there is a crystal ball and I, you know, I, I think it has to do with demand and we all know what's going to change the demand and that's FDA approval and regulations. When that happens, the whole market will change. Now, with with a new um, with the Democrat in power, the Democrats in power, you know, with the presidency in the House and tie in the Senate there. Um, what do you think is going to change on a federal level when it comes to him? Or do you see any changes? Is it going to be a lot more of the same? Uh, yeah, on the federal level, I mean, I think you know, there's there's a bill in you know that's that's being proposed right now. Um, and I mean, I think that's got a good chance to at least move forward. Uh, I think we've got a, um, administration who's pretty hip friendly. So again, like Ben said, do we have a crystal ball? I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure. I think we just have to kind of wait it out, but I do think that good things are, uh, are coming. I really do. And, you know, I mean, the biggest thing for us is given this new administration, we really, really do hope that something is done to change this because this truly can, not only from a health standpoint and from uh, many other standpoints, it, it can change the lives of a lot, of, a lot of people and from an economic standpoint. I mean, look at Texas, for instance. I mean, oil and gas, as that goes down, there's gonna be, an, uh, we need to have another commodity to replace some of that revenue. And this is a perfect opportunity to do that um, and it's not only in Texas. I mean, I, you know, I, I really just hope that, you know, there's a lot of us who've taken a big leap of faith and jumped into 
what we believe in and and we are entrepreneurs at heart we know the risk but we're really excited about where this can go and where it's going to be but we do need we need some guidance and some regulations to come through on on the federal side it's hard to see the opportunity and then see so clearly what can be what's holding back that opportunity as a founder i can imagine that you're looking at that and saying man if this happens it could be a game changer yeah, right absolutely and and just on the uh, you know for the for the health benefits of, of all the consumers again there needs to be more regulations we're a big proponent on regulations we've done everything at our facility uh, we're a cgmp and kosher uh, certified facility. We put all the infrastructure in there uh, on the front end, um, knowing that regulations will come. And, you know, as a consumer of this product as well, uh, the consumer needs to understand and know where their products are coming from. And so regulations need to be put in place. Uh, so, you know, a company like Bayou City um, really stands out as far as what we're doing versus uh, someone else who's not doing it the appropriate way like we are. It's a great point. We spend a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of capital to build out this facility to be food grade, to be CGMP, kosher, soon to be organic certified. I mean, it's a big part of it. We want to provide the highest quality ingredients and be consistent in doing that. And, and a bigger point is we want to be completely transparent. Our doors here, we have tours all the time. It's completely open. We want people to see what we're doing, see how we're doing it and understand what it really takes to do it the right way. And look, we're, we are entrepreneurs. We know, we know there's gonna be highs and lows in this industry and we're prepared to take that on, but we do see the bigger picture and light at the end of the tunnel and we believe it's coming. I agree. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you a question that I think a lot of people are asking themselves right now. Say FDA regulations do change. And every single supplement manufacturer, every single brand or product that makes, you know, something that you would buy at GNC or, or even all the consumer packaged goods at Walgreens or whatever, say all these big companies enter the space. How do you build a brand that stands out with the increased competition? Do you think the demand will take care of that? The increase in demand will take care of that? Or, or do you think that you have to, this is your time right now you know, the next 18 months, two years to build the brand. How are y'all going to do that? Quality. I mean, look, there's a lot of basement processors and, and look, everyone has a right to do it their own way. We're not diminishing anyone's brand. Um, but we believe that longevity in this market will be based on high quality, consistent and, and transparent ingredients. I mean, that, that's what it's going to take. Um, those are the guys you know, we believe we are those guys. They're going to get the bigger contracts. Um, you know, I, I don't know. That That's the way we believe the market's going to turn. Um, and, and look, when the FDA comes out, it's not just going to be, hey, it's free for all. They are going to put their thumb down very hard. Well, that's why I'm saying that's why I'm talking about those other companies, because they've dealt with those regulations yeah, for I, a long I, time. Case my, my belief, I, I do not see this free for all where these other nutraceutical companies are just jumping in. I really mm -hmm. don't. I mean, after Ben and I have been doing this for quite some time, again, I, I absolutely believe what we make here in our facility is totally different than the nutraceuticals that they're making. Totally different process, totally different uh, 
totally different uh, staff. Uh, not to say that they can't do it, but there's going to be a steep learning curve on those guys, uh, and it's going to take them quite some time. So, again, you said, is is the right time to do it now? The answer is yes. You, you need to be doing it for the next two years. Build your brand with quality, uh, and I think you'll really stand out. And, you know, it, it not only is it quality, but I, I really believe the transparency is key. I mean, we have seed-to-shelf tracking in everything we do. Um, we have our own internal testing lab. Uh, we have, I mean, it's led by our own PhD chemist, Dr. G. When, when we talk about this, we back it up with our employees, our infrastructure, um, our facilities, and, and we think that's gonna be the difference. But what I will say is these, these brands that, we're, that people are working to build, you better have high quality suppliers that are, you're already sourced. Uh, because your brand is only as strong as who your suppliers are. And it, it, it's critical that you team up with the right groups, the, one that's, uh, the ones that are going to have longevity and be here when the FDA does come out and they shut down 80% of the facilities out there. Um, you know, who knows what's going to happen, but I mean, we're a first mover in Texas and we knew that was going to be the key. And we do believe in a future that has cannabis legalized completely. Now you mentioned suppliers just now and in, in, in having solid partners. I believe you're referencing yourself as a supplier, but I've got a question upstream of y'all. How do y'all manage the, how do y'all manage the relationships that you have with farmers and the suppliers that you all work with, or, or do you supply everything that you all make yourselves? Sure. No, we, I mean, we have a whole team here uh, that works with farmers. Uh, we have a whole division who um, who sources good quality product, who is in talks with farmers, I mean, constantly, daily. Daily. Um, you know, we're not going to always say we do everything. That's not who we are. A lot of people in this industry say we do everything. Um, we do most things and we do it really well. Uh, I'm a farmer, you know, my background is farming. We went down this path, but we work with quite a few farmers. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're as vertically integrated as we want to be right now. There's no, there's not a huge benefit for us to go out and grow 200 acres. I mean, that would defeat the purposes of, of, of us trying to help the farmer. We want to be an outlet for the farmer. And, and, and you got to take into account the extraction facility has enough risk within it, right? As soon as you start growing and, you know, in Houston or wherever you would end up growing, a hurricane comes through, whatever it is, right? And that can disrupt your entire supply chain. Whereas if you were buying it on the open market, you could always go out and, and source. Absolutely. So every, every layer to that vertical market, that vertical model carries risk. risk. And not only that, I mean, we're, we have, I mean, again, a, a GMP facility here. I mean, what we do is we're constantly doing R and D and, and we're more of a biopharma company. Again, farming is, if that's what, if that's the route you want to choose and we, we try to help the farmer with that, then that's the, that's where you need to stay. You need to stay in your lane because farming is, you know, I've been doing it a long time. Farming, if that's what you do, you, you're a farmer. Um, and you're good at it. And you're good at it. And you're good at it. Now, one of your missions that you have listed out here is to be the first and largest CO2 hemp extraction company in Texas. As far as the, kind of the topics that I wanted to ask you about, what makes CO2 the better option? When it comes to extraction, you know, for everybody that's listening that might not know, you have ethanol, you have your hydrocarbons, 
you have uh, a, a number of different methods. CO2 is uh, an extraction method that just uses carbon dioxide. That's correct. You why, can... you know, why, car why CO2 extraction? Why, why carbon dioxide extraction versus the other methods that can be more affordable uh, when it comes to processing? Sure. Well, look, we, Jeremy and I spent a very, very long time deciding on which extraction method we were going to use, and we studied them in depth for months. And the, the reality of it is, is carbon dioxide is in the air. It's, 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 it's here, right? It's, it's not using anything, I mean, that is synthetically derived. However, the, the main points for us is it's much more selective in what we're pulling out of the plant. Um, so we're getting a lot less byproduct, um, side material, things like that. Um, it, not only that, I mean, that, that's, the, that's the easy answer. It's much more selective and we're going to be able to pull out exactly what we need and want out of the plant instead of alcohol or ethanol pulling out everything out of the plant. And some people want that, but um, for us, we want to be selective and be able to formulate and pull out exactly what we want. Um, and, and really the, the biggest component of this is the actual byproduct and what we call the raffinate. It's, it's spent biomass and the biggest, and, and I'm sure everyone's seen the, you know, legal findings out there and different things of companies. But when we, when our product leaves our extractors, it, it's clean. I mean, we can use it for livestock feed soil remediation. Um, you can use it to flavor drinks. There's a multitude of things you can do and it's not a, it's not a hazardous waste. That's the biggest problem. Um, and that's why, yes, to get in the CO2 game, it is way more capital intensive upfront. You better, you better be prepared. However, your operating costs are much lower and you have much less risk from a, I mean, what are you going to do with all that spent biomass that's hazardous waste? Well, we've, we've seen what some people have done. We've seen what some people have done. Yeah. But yeah, like, like Ben said, Chase, um, it, it's, it's very capital intensive on the front end, but we're a huge believer in using the entire product. That is, that is something that went into uh, how we chose our extraction method. We think that the raffinate and, and the spent material is actually going to be a product at some point. Again, there's some regulatory issues on that side as well on animal feed, et cetera, but it's got a huge, uh, it's got a very high protein content. We see some really good things uh, in the future on that side of the market. That's a totally different side than what we're talking about. But, um, and so, yeah, it's, it's CO2 is a clean product and that's, that's uh, really why we chose it. And I'll add two things there. The first thing is, we are in Texas and it is one of the largest agricultural meccas in, in the world. And we'd be crazy not to think about what we're gonna do with our byproduct and not have the ability to use it for something that can not only be a revenue stream that's unaccounted for, but also help the earth and, and, and the farmers at the same time. Um, the, the sustainability behind that is amazing. Now, it really before- before we wrap this up, I, you know, looking at your storefront, you know, getting to know y'all, 
what are what what are all the what are the ways that people can work with Bayou City Hemp? What are, what are what's everything that you're doing? And and if people want to work with y'all, if people want to you know buy your goods, what what are y'all selling? How would they get in touch? You know, lay it on us. Give us a spiel uh, before we wrap this up because I I really appreciate y'all keeping it as educational as y'all have because uh, there's a lot to uh, there's a lot to learn in Texas and people don't you know it, it's it's hard to get that information because things are changing. It's so important to y'all to stay up to date on everything. So I appreciate the update. And I think everybody's probably going to be looking forward to this. But tell us tell us everything that y'all are doing. We keep a pretty tight pulse on the market. Uh, we have a lot of brand partners that we work with. But I mean, so not, I mean, of course, we process and extract. We can do isolates, distillates, um, broad, full, CBD, anything you want. But, you know, we really specialize in minor cannabinoids and formulations and, and custom products. So whether it's CBC or CBN or CBG, um, Delta-8, THCV, CBDV. I mean, we have the ability to, um, you know, isolate and, and uh, I guess extract all of those uh, cannabinoids. Um, and as far as products, I mean, we white label a multitude of products. Um, and, and I'll let Jeremy go through some of the brands that uh, we've partnered with and, and some of the products that uh, we provided them. Yeah, I mean, like Ben said, we, we do all our bulk products. Um, we'd love for people to reach out uh, to us if we can partner with, with anyone, any of your viewers uh, on, on the bulk side that we can, you know, help them on as an ingredient. Uh, we also, um, I mean, we have a whole R&D team. That's, that's all they do is uh, coming up with better alternatives. We're, we're now working, we've been working for quite some time on a, a nano water soluble product, which is just unbelievable. Uh, and we partnered with a brand called the Mixer Elixir. And we've got some big news coming out uh, with the Mixer Elixir soon uh, that we're absolutely excited about. But um, so on the water, we're, we're super excited on the water soluble. Um, we're- Yeah, let me, let me go into that. Go ahead, sure, so the, sure. the, the water soluble, I mean, we take it to, I don't know, under 50 nanometers. I mean, we can give you the exact measurements, but we make it very, very small. It's an incredible product and we're not limited to use it with CBD. I mean, we CBC, CBN, CBG, Delta-8. I mean, when you talk about a, and, and Mixer Elixir does it as a beverage additive and it's just a little pump and it, it's an incredible experience um, from all aspects. Um, and we're working on a couple of other products with the Nano that we, we won't reveal just yet, but stay tuned, it's coming. Well, I, I can't wait to see what y'all do next. I'm excited to be down there and see you guys in Texas, in Dallas, uh, in November. And uh, incredible job, you know, fighting through everything with COVID, fighting through the oversupply and building a great brand. I, I, I think there's so much to learn from y'all. And I appreciate you sharing a little bit of that knowledge today with us on the show. Yeah. And let me, let me just real quick, take 30 more seconds to tell you about some of the other products we do. So Third Coast Blends is another uh, company we, we've partnered with. Uh, so we do vapes, um, pre-rolls, gummies, tinctures. Um, uh, really, it, it's, it's a limitless end of products. We have a full cosmetics line that we've partnered with to help someone create, um, which is Leaf Life Wellness. Um, so, you know, take a look and, and go out there. I mean, uh, yeah, I check out I, the website. Yeah, check out, check out BayouCityHemp.com and you can get in touch with this contact at BayouCityHemp.com. We're here every day, all day to answer any questions anybody needs. And again, we just want to be, 
we want to be the partner we couldn't find. Uh, That's right. So we appreciate um, your time. And Chase, we really appreciate it. And we really, really look forward to seeing you at the Texas Hemp Convention. Well, hopefully all this COVID is over and we'll be uh, riding a bull in a bar or Get something in November together. I don't know. Have, have y'all been on the mechanical bulls? Because I have not. And that's something I've always wanted to do. So I'll take you up on that. Maybe after a few, a few. Uh... Yeah, we'll, we'll have a few beers and get on, get on the mechanical bull. Yeah. That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, be safe and uh, good luck. And we'll be in touch. All Thanks, right, Chase. Thanks, bud.